The historical record indicates that casting spells or curses that affect fertility were considered the most damaging applications of witchcraft. Now, add a context in which fertility was one of the main strategies for success of New France, and, well, fertility curses take on a whole new level of criminality. You are not only a danger to the public, but a threat to national security. This is the position my eighth great-grandfather, René Bénard, dit Beaujolais, found himself in when he used sorcery to exact revenge for his broken heart. Welcome to the Maple Family Treehouse. I am Kale, bringing you another story from my family tree. In doing so, I hope to understand my settler past and my current role as a treaty person during the reconciliation process here in Canada. So I'm here telling you the stories of my settler ancestors and the reasons they chose to come to Canada. And René Bernard is an interesting case study. In many ways, René Bernard was the ideal immigrant for New France because of his abilities as a gunsmith and his age. He was 28 years old, perfect for military service, clearing the land and raising a family. He was the ideal settler because he could produce arms, serve in the military, and help build a settled population in New France. But his story also reminds us of the tender hearts and egos of ancestors that can easily be stereotyped as rough and rugged. René Bénard dit Beaujolais joined the army in his hometown of Saint-Pierre in France, where he was born and baptized on February the 6th, 1625. He joined the French army and was posted to New France in 1653. The fact that René migrates to New France in 1653 was not happenstance or a mystery. According to historian Marcel Trudeau, 1653 is the year of the great recruit, a year in which France would make a systemic effort to attract ideal settlers to New France. In this year, three ships brought permanent settlers and military reinforcements that changed the quality of life and increased security in and around Fort Ville-Marie, or what is now present-day Montreal. René Bénard came across on a ship called the Saint-Nazaire, he arrived at Ville-Marie on November 16, 1653, as Corporal of the Garrison at Fort Ville-Marie. Three years later, in 1656, Marie Pontagnier arrived in Montreal at the age of 13 years old. The arrival of eligible single women would have been welcomed by the male-dominated colony. For every seven men in the settlement, there were three women. Suffice it to say that the dating scene inside the colony could be a little tense. It goes without saying that women in Ville-Marie would have had multiple suitors. Marie married Pierre Gadois, but René Bernard was also a suitor and did not take the news that Marie had chosen Pierre Gadois over him very well. In reaction, Pierre threatened that if Marie did not abandon her marriage plans with Pierre Gadois, that he knew how to, uh, quote-unquote, tie the knots, or tying the codpiece string, which was intended to render a man impotent. 
The curse was a well-known import from France. The curse would have been carried out by secretly knotting a cod string three times during the marriage ceremony. The simple curse would render the couple sterile until the knots were untied and potentially lasting up to 17 years. Marie Patonnier spoke to her fiancé and the parish priest about this threat, and they decided to proceed with the marriage anyway, and on August 12, 1657, they were married. But as a precaution, Pierre was instructed to uh, recite the words, Have mercy on me, O God, backwards, during the ceremony to ward off René Bernard's curse. After trying unsuccessfully for a year to get pregnant, the couple was advised to go to Quebec City and get a second nuptial blessing from Bishop Laval. When the bishop's blessing proved ineffective, Bernard was accused of making Pierre Gaudois sterile. In 1658, Father Claude Pijart pronounced the marriage to be naloque legitimo impedimento detecto, which is a Latin phrase meaning an obstruction was placed on the relationship. On November 2nd, 1658, René Bernard was summoned to appear before the Lord Justice of Montreal. This was the first trial for witchcraft in New France. Faced with the possibility of being burned alive, René Bernard denied the charges of sorcery. René claimed instead that Marie had approached him with an offer of sex if he would acknowledge the curse and break the spell, and not the other way around, as Marie had testified. When faced with the testimony that he had boasted suggestively in public about knowing how to tie the knot, Bernard again explained that there had been a misunderstanding. He was talking about lacing up corsets and shoes, not casting a spell, because cursing people and putting on clothes are easily mixed up, you know. When multiple witnesses testified that René boasted about knowing how to tie the knot, René had no recollection whatsoever of the discussions. Of course, with his life potentially on the line, Bernard denied all the accusations. Even when René does finally admit to boasting about having magical powers, Bernard asserts that he was kidding and the statements were only intended to scare Pierre Gaudois. In the end, the court does not seem to believe the statements made by Pierre and that this was a misunderstanding. Bernard is exonerated in part from the accusations of sorcery, but is found guilty of spells and malice. On November the 4th, 1658, Bernard was fined 300 livres by Seigneurial Justice of Montreal for having attempted to destroy the virtue of Marie. Just so we can grasp here the relative value of this fine today, 300 livres converts roughly to $518 Canadian in 1658, but by today's standards, that fine would be more like $35,000. When I searched for fines today that are set at $35,000, I got several examples of fines given to unruly passengers on airlines. It's a good comparison. Many of these cases also included jail time and being banned from flights for at least a year or more. It is behavior that affects public safety of the other passengers. And as well, these fines seem harsh, but I think that's the point. They're meant to be effective deterrence, both examples as ways for our society to deter behaviors that are seen as a very real threats to public safety and well-being. 
Sieur de Chambé de Maisonneuve, who officiated the ma as a magistrate on the case, condemned René Bernard to prison, and then René was expelled from Ville-Marie. René left town as ordered and settled in the nearby town of Trois-Rivières. Bishop Laval repealed the marriage after an ecclesi ecclesiastical investigation, and on August the 3rd, 1660, after the three-year waiting period was complete, Marie and Pierre could both remarry separately. He declared the marriage null because of the permanent impotence caused by witchcraft. Both Marie and Pierre went on to have very, um, quote-unquote, fruitful marriages, adding the final layer of mystery and intrigue to the idea that René Bernard was a sorcerer. The efforts to start her life over again sent Marie Patonnier on a roller coaster ride of joy and tragedy. Two months after marrying Pierre Martin Dite La Riviere on November the 3rd, 1660, Marie became pregnant, but their happiness was short lived. Pierre was killed on March 24th, 1661, during a fight with the Iroquois. His decapitated body was found on June 22nd, 1661. He was buried in Montreal six days later. Their daughter Marie was born and then baptized on November the 9th, 1661. On December the 5th, 1661, Marie married Honoré Langlois. Things settled down for Marie after this, and the couple had 10 children together. As for René Bernard, he married Marie Sedelot, widower of a rich landowner, Bertrand Fafard, and mother of four children. Renee and Marie had six children together, including my sixth great-grandmother, Marie Anne Bernard. In 1665, Pierre Guédois married Jean Bernard, no relation to Renee, and in 1665, they had 14 children with twins as a final testament that the curse used by René Bernard no longer had any power. René managed to carve a living for himself as a substitute for the king's prosecutor, even though René Bernard himself was often prosecuted for non-payment of money owed. Again, this supports my idea that René held some power and privilege in his community. I can't imagine many other people getting away with this. Marrying into a wealthy landowning family probably helped. René Bernard and Marie Sedelot both died in 1689 in Trois-Rivières, bringing an end to the story of René Bernard, sorcerer of New France. It is a story with a relatively happy ending given the fates of other witch trials, albeit the notion of punishing witches through the courts was waning in France and other parts of Europe at the time. But here in North America, though, there would still be some deep-seated fear of the power of witchcraft. The now famous Salem witch trials took place just three years later. The notion of curses and spells would linger in Canada for a while too. In a published record entitled Ritual of the Diocese of Quebec, 1703, an article was included that stated, it sometimes occurs that married persons are prevented by an evil spell or charm from consummating the marriage. Historian and genealogical researcher, Peter J. Gagné, explained that the afflicted people were to pray for release from the spell, confess their sins, and take communion. If this remedy did not work, 
they were asked to seek assistance of priests who would determine if church prayers or an exorcism were necessary. Under no circumstances were they to ask the person who cast the spell to undo it with another or to renounce the first contract and start another. Because in the words of the report in 1703, would cause insult to the sacrament and would only come from the devil. I've relayed a migration story of my eighth great-grandfather, René Bernard, a gunsmith and military man in New France during the great recruitment of 1653. The year that turned New France from a frontier trading post confined within the fort at Ville-Marie to a colony whose settlers built cottages to live in and tended fields. Iroquois raids were the feared threat, but keep in mind at this early stage in contact, there were no treaties in place yet. The treaty that calms relations between the French and the Iroquois is the Great Peace of Montreal, and that didn't occur until 1701. So, in many ways, this is a stereotypical early colonial settler migration story involving gun violence, economic trade, and of course land seems textbook on the surface, but the documented life of René Bernard brings into focus the complexity of daily life complete with love, heartbreak, and of course, sorcery. I mean, here is a guy who makes guns for a living. Now, I've never owned a gun and I have no plans of ever owning a gun, but I have no doubt that ownership of a gun comes with an awesome sense of power. I can't even imagine being the person who makes the guns. And if the actual ability to make the guns is not enough to establish that Rennie has power in his new frontier community, put Rennie Bernard in a context in which trade and military presence depends on the very skill that he brings to the table. Rennie Bernard was a skilled man in uniform who had economic, political, and physical power in his community, and all at the age of 28 years old. René is also a military man on the frontier. He's a tough guy who's used to hard work. Well, as they say, with power comes responsibility. Lives depended on René's product and work duties. Between military service and building a homestead on uncleared land, René had a lot on his plate. But is it the move to a new continent that stresses René? No. Is it the clearing land and building of a homestead from the ground up that pushes René over the edge? No. Is it military defense from Iroquois raids that does Rennie in? No. What gets the goat of Rennie Bernard is rejection from a woman he wanted to marry. And what is even more surprising is that this man, so steeped in the physical violence of colonial expansion, chooses sorcery to even the score. In the end, Rennie faced justice his curse was quashed and the efforts to populate the colony continued. Once the curse was broken, Marie and Pierre went on to have 24 children between the two of them. René Bernard and his wife, Marie Sedelot, also had several children, one of whom was a daughter, Marie Anne Bernard, who was born in 1661, my seventh great-grandmother. After her in my direct line to Ray Bernard, there were two generations of Pierre Barbeaus, Jean-Baptiste Barbeau, Louise M. Barbeau, Louis Gervais, 
Eveline Gervais, Yolande Saint-Amand, and finally my mother, Marie Roderick. And there you have it. A migration story, one of the many ways that I came to be here in Canada. Thank you for joining me. I'm Kale Sharman at Maple Family Treehouse. The show notes can be found at maplefamilytreehouse.com. Until next time, cheers. Thank you.